Welcome back to the Honor of Kings podcast, guys. This is Lee, and this is episode three of our Cleansing the Sanctuary, Daniel's 2300-Day Prophecy. Y'all going to have to bear with me today, because this has got to be at least the ninth time that I've hit record and delete. I think today's just not a very good speaking day for me, and I think y'all are probably the only think I'm a very good speaker to start with, and I'm not. But um, today's a little bit of struggle. I'm asking for some grace. Um, I'm not here for popularity and making money and be you know likes and all that stuff. I just I'm just trying to get out some Bible study information to help you guys. It's a it's a ministry, and um, I believe that the, the faithful here will show me grace and just stick with this, not because of me, but because of the scripture that we're going to discuss and. Let's hope that's the the case. Anyhow, so in the first two episodes, we discussed the outer court and how that was about our justification or being saved. We looked at the colors. We looked at the materials that were being used. We looked at the symbolism. And we are today going to go into the holy place, right? We're going to move into the next phase of this whole system. Now, Before we start that, I would like to put a picture in your mind's eye of this entire system, and I'd like you to keep this picture in mind as we continue throughout this series, okay? Now, I was listening to a pastor, David Shin, that's S-H-I-N-N, and he had a series on the tabernacle I found on YouTube. Now, first thing I'll say, be careful with this guy, brethren, because he is one of those dreaded Adventists. Dun, dun, dun. No, obviously I'm being um, dramatic there. I'm going to say this. The Adventists, they get it. I am not an Adventist. But when I hear them speak, when I heard Pastor Shin speak, and when I hear the other ones speak and preach, I hear my King James Bible preach and speak. I hear my Bible speaking through them. So that's all I can tell you is these people get it. They understand their scripture. They understand their prophecy. They're on point. People say they're Mormons. People say they're Scientologists. People say they're evil. People say a lot of ridiculous stuff. But if you actually listen to them speak, they know what they're talking about. So, anyhow, he described the entire section or system, the three sections of the system, in terms of human life, and he was relating it to his newborn son. Now, you'll note that I said that the three sections mirror what Jesus himself said. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and that's what we get though here in this system, the way entering into the outer court is our justification. The truth entering into the holy place is sanctification, and the life is entering into the most holy place, glorification. So the three sections of the tabernacle are the way, the truth, the life, or Justification, sanctification, glorification. All of it show the pathway of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, 
The pastor did what great pastors do, and he put it into an easy-to-understand imagery. So, um, he says as we enter the outer gate, that's symbolic of our birth, right? He's Again, he's... He's modeling this after his newborn son. So when we enter that outer gate, the justification part, we come through into the outer court and we come to the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us, his blood uh, covering our sins. That is us being born. And this is true because this is when we are born again, right? Now, as a newborn baby... What does Paul tell us about, um, you know, at first we need milk, but as we mature and grow, we need solid food. Well, a newborn baby needs constant nourishment to grow and mature. And that's what we find in the holy place. Our sanctification is our nourishment and our growth and our maturing in Christ. It's what grows us. And once we've come to the end of our time here on this earth, we pass through from the from the holy place into the most holy place and receive our glorified bodies that's glorification and that's when we spend eternity with the father so that's our natural again our natural life pattern the outer court our justification is being born the holy place inside the tabernacle our sanctification is our nourishment and our growth through our life and then going through the veil is our passing on this earth to spend eternity with God with our glorified bodies is our glorification. That's, the, you know, that's how this whole system works. And I'd just like you to keep that in mind. So the section we're going to now is about us growing and maturing and being nourished. Nourished by Christ in this next section. Okay. So, um, ba -ba -ba. I hope that imagery helps you guys understand this a little bit better. And, and let me just say, there's a reason that David Shin is a pastor and I am not. <laughs> I um, highly encourage you to check out his series on YouTube. It's called The Sanctuary, Salvation, and Our Savior. I have no hard feelings if you cut my show off right here and now and go listen to him instead. Because the only thing that matters is that people discover biblical truth. And I'll tell you, I'll just tell you one thing though. His series does not cover some of these smaller, finer details of symbolism, like, you know, what material the sockets are made of and, you know, the what the wood represents and all that. He's not doing that. But that doesn't mean that his series isn't highly informative and even more inspiring. You know, it's 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 highly inspiring. So I uh, do recommend that you check out Pastor David Shin, S-H-I-N-N, The Sanctuary, Salvation, and Our Savior on YouTube. Okay, let's have a word of prayer, and then we will go into the holy place and start learning about our nourishment, our sanctification, our growth, our maturity. Father, in the name of Jesus... Um, we, we come to you and first things first, I'm going to be selfish here, but I'm going to ask, help me, help me get through this episode today. It strengthened me, Holy Spirit, empower me to get the words out, um, to make this at least palatable for the people to listen to. Cause I'm, I'm just struggling. Today's not my day. 
But um, I ask you to be with me, strengthen me, give me purpose, give me direction, give me inspiration, help me point out things in the scripture that people really, really need to hear. Help help us soften hearts and, and remove scales, Father. And we thank you for all 66 books of scripture because in these 66 books, we find our safeguards. We find the things that keep us on the rails in terms of our theology and our understanding. Um, there are so many false preachers and false shepherds out there, as you told us, as you warned us. And what people don't realize is if you turn to the pages of the Bible that you never read, you will find where the safeguards have been the safeguards have been set in place by you, Father. They we're just trying to help show them. And understanding the sanctuary, understanding the tabernacle, gives us the entire plan of salvation. You gave it to your people back then so they would understand. You're giving it to us now so we can understand and we can stay protected and we can stay rooted in your truth. Christ was salvation all along. From the garden until he comes back, it's always been about Jesus. And we have found a way to get Jesus wrong in our day. And there's nothing more that the enemy wants than for us to get it wrong. Help us, Father, to, to show through your Old Testament writings, through your tabernacle, through the, the, the pages that people don't want to read, <coughs> that the truth is there for them to protect them. Inspire them, Father. Direct them to this. Help them understand it. Help me speak it in a way that they understand it, Father, because it's so important. And we're here in this ministry just to help open the eyes of people. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this ability to have this time together with other believers all over the world through this internet that at its root is just wickedness. It's used by the enemy as wickedness. But as with anything wicked, you can use it for your glory. And you're doing it here. And you're doing it in other places. Thank you for this opportunity, Father. And we thank you for raising people. I know that there are going to be millions and millions of people that are raising up. Rising up, I should say rising up. That are going to start understanding your scripture. And we're going to start sharing it. And we ask you to bless each and every one of them, Father. Empower them. In the mighty and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, guys. So here we are as I struggle. We're 11 minutes in and haven't even got to the, to the study. So let's get to the study. We're going to the holy place. And I want to point out first, and this is why understanding the sanctuary, the tabernacle, and the things in the Old Testament are so important because it gives you understanding, it informs you of the things in the New Testament, right? So, um, Revelation is actually taking place right here in the holy place that we're about to enter. It's taking place. How do we know this? John... He sees what he sees. He sees Jesus, and he is looking into the holy tabernacle in heaven that is the very thing that set the model for the earthly tabernacle. 
he's looking into that exact system in heaven that the one on earth was copied from. So he's in the holy place. Revelation 1.12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So, first of all, we see Jesus, the Son of Man. He's clothed with a garment down to the foot. This is a priest's robe. He is girt about the paps. That's the chest with a golden girdle. He's the high priest. We are seeing Jesus standing in the middle of these candlesticks, which are located in the holy place, as we're going to describe as we go down through this. He's standing in the holy place as our high priest. So by understanding the tabernacle, we understand where he is. And by understanding what he's wearing, we understand that he is standing there at Pentecost or just after Pentecost. So what does this tell us? It tells us that Revelation is about the church age because he's now our high priest and he's ascended to heaven. So this is about the church age and we're in the holy place of sanctification. What does what does churching do for you? It sanctifies you. It grows you. It matures you. It's part of it, right? And this is where we are right now in this church age in Revelation. So as we will see again that the candlesticks are one of the three pieces of furniture in the holy place. And in Revelation, Jesus moves from station to station. So when he is speaking or showing John things that he is doing, he starts at the candlesticks. Then he opens the seals at the table of showbread. And then the trumpets occur at the altar of incense. The three pieces of furniture in here are what we see Jesus moving to in Revelation. Okay? Now, part of cleansing the sanctuary is the priest would attend to all three of these pieces of furniture. That's something we're going to get to at the end of all this to, you know, walk us through what's actually going on here. But understand that knowing this tabernacle and the sanctuary helps you understand what's happening in Revelation. Um, let's see. So, and, and again, by understanding this and decoding prophetic passages that you weren't able to understand before. See, understanding this stuff helps you open up things that you couldn't understand before. The Bible answers Bible. But gaining this understanding, the stuff you hear people on TV and from the pulpit saying, you will see it's not true. God's wisdom is just impossible for us to comprehend, right? Uh, but we can recognize some of the things that he did for us. And how can we do that? He created 66 harmonious books that weave a ridiculously integrate, intricate tapestry of verses together that serve as an answer guide. You read one verse here, somewhere else there's a verse or group of verses that will answer it. Every verse in scripture can be answered by another verse or set of verses. We do not need to go and buy so-and-so's book on biblical topics if we understand this concept. And here comes 
the texts and emails. Um, don't get me wrong, reading certain theologians' books can be enlightening. But you have to know your Bible first. If you don't, you run the risk of being deceived. As your studies improve, you become more versed in what Scripture is saying. You will recognize that the voices you have been listening to are wrong on many issues. Eventually, you will develop a discernment to be able to recognize pastors who are speaking truth and therefore be able to recognize the ones that are not. Now, this is how I'm able to listen to a pastor's shin and say, this guy is telling me truth. It's because I study my Bible and I read it as much as I can. Um, and it's because I'm grounded in Scripture that I can listen to him and say, okay, this guy's right on the money, but I can listen to others and say, okay, I can't, I can't be a part of this person's teaching because he's getting this, that, and the other thing wrong, right? You will be able to get this discernment for yourself if you start digging in, if you start reading, if you really make it a priority, you that because that's what the scripture's here for. It's to be a safeguard. It's to be your protective wall against these people that are out here lying and deceiving. Now, I'm not trying to say that every voice, though, out there who's wrong on a topic is wicked or intentionally trying to mislead anybody. But there is a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of that. Way more than you think. There's more talk about that, about false teachers in uh, second coming prophecy than any other subject matter. You know, and all of us get some stuff wrong. All of us. That's why I tell you, don't just listen to me. You study it for yourself. Certainly somewhere in here, I might not have something completely perfectly correct or whatever. That's why you guys go look. You listen to what I'm saying, but you read. And you, you back it up. If if I'm talking about a subject you're interested in, gather the information I've said, go back and double check for yourself. Chances are you'll learn even more than I learned because you're getting a head start on it. Um, but just take it seriously. You know, that's all I can tell you. Take, take your Bible study seriously so you can understand who's lying and who's telling the truth. Um, let's get to the holy place, shall we? Running out of time already. The holy place of the tabernacle was 20 cubits long, 10 broad, and 10 high. So that's 30 by 15 by 15. I have to note here that the temples which come after that were made of stone have larger dimensions. But we're just sticking with the tabernacle for the imagery here. Not trying to overly complicate all this. Um, so... The holy place is part of the tabernacle tent, obviously. So we've already discussed the linens and the colors and the woods and the metals and that symbology that goes on with the physical structure. We did that, I think, at the end of the, the last uh, episode. So we're just going to talk about the furniture here. And once we've covered all the furniture, we get through all the way to the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to start this thing over and we are going to walk through what the priest does in cleansing the sanctuary. Okay, um, so let's see. The table of showbread is our first article of furniture. We can read about this in Exodus 25, verses 23 through 30. This table represents Jesus, the living bread, the word of God. Um, and you can find that in John 6, 5, 1. So in Exodus 25, 23, we read, Thou shalt make a table of 
shittim or shittim wood. We're going to go with the acacia wood because I still feel like I'm saying something wrong there. Um, so thou shalt make a table out of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof and a cubit, the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So the table of showbread was made of the same materials as the ark. It was the acacia wood overlaid with pure gold. It was the same height as the ark that is in the most holy place, but it was shorter in length and breadth. Around the top, there was a crown of gold, and on uh, outside of this crown was a border that measured a handbreadth. And on the outer edge of this border, there was another crown of gold. The table had four legs. Uh, and there were four rings of gold that were fastened to each of these legs at the top, closest to the border. Staves were made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold for carrying the table. You know, the staves were pushed through the rings and the whole thing was lifted up by two men, and one, on each, uh, one on each side. The table was placed in the holy place on the north side. Highly significant. And we find this in uh, Exodus 40, verse 22. And again, as always, where does Isaiah tell us Satan wants his throne? On the sides of the north. He wants his throne over God's word. He wants to pervert God's scripture, God's word, our understanding of it. That's what's up with all the false prophets and teachers. Having this table of showbread on the sides of the north, when we get to the seals, helps us completely understand what's going on with the seals. The seals are all about how each church era, the spirit of each church era, used and related to the Word of God. It's exactly what that imagery tells us. Um, da, 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 in Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, in, <clears throat> excuse me, instructions are given in respect of the showbread. You know, so a study about the table without a mention of the showbread wouldn't be complete. So weekly there were 12 loaves baked. And on the Sabbath, they were baked on the Sabbath. They were set in two rows of six on the table. Each loaf had two tenth deals of fine flour. Um, frankincense was placed on each row. And after the new bread had been placed on the table, um, the bread that was already there, Previously, pre previous seven days was eaten by the priests. That's in Leviticus 24.9. So we've hit this a bunch of times, but for our newer listeners who might not have listened to our Revelation series and a couple other ones along the way, the bread is representative of God's word. And we see that it's in 12 loaves. 12 is a number in prophecy that relates to the church. So it represents the, the 12 tribes of Israel, which is also symbolic. That's type, anti-type church. 12 tribes of Israel type. 12 in prophecy, anti-type church. But notice it's in two stacks of six. So this in symbology is showing us there are 66 books of Scripture. Two stacks of six, the bread of life, the word of God. We have all these dumb debates about how books were left out like Enoch, Jubilees, Yasher, and all that. But the table of showbread shows us it's 66 
books. See? A firewall. For all the people who want to have this debate, if you're in Leviticus, if you're in Exodus, if you're in Deuteronomy, you find these answers that be like, there it is. This guy, this guy is saying Enoch is inspired writing. Yasher is inspired writing. But my Bible says there are 66 books. That's exactly what I have in my Bible. My Bible's complete. This is why this stuff is important. It's exactly why this stuff is important. Um, so obviously this station is one of the stations of um, sanctification, which is part of your pathway of salvation through Jesus Christ. This whole thing is about your salvation, the plan of salvation through Christ. So this is part of making you holy, holy is reading scripture, the bread of life. So um, Jesus said, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. That's this. It's eating the bread on the table, being in your Bible. And notice, when is the bread made fresh again? It's made fresh on the Sabbath. This is telling us that there is no better time to feed on the bread of life than on the Sabbath. And that's the true Sabbath, Saturday. <clears throat> Not this mark of the beast uh, issue that we're engaged in now, which is Sunday. And yes, Daniel chapter 3. The, the whole story of Daniel it, as, a, as a composite, but chapter 3 in uh, particular, does show that the Sabbath is the mark of the beast issue. And again, the table is set on the north of the sanctuary. This is informative and vital to understanding the king of the north from Daniel. Again, Satan wants his throne on the side of the north. So if the table of showbread's on the side of the north, you have a king of the north. Satan wants his throne on the north. What do you think the king of the north is? You know, it's something wicked. Now there's a true king of the north because the bread of life, Jesus, right? Jesus, the bread of life, he's the true king of the north. But in these prophecies, they're talking about a counterfeit king of the north. So what is what is a king of the north then if we associate it with the, the table that's on the side of the north where Satan wants his throne? It talks about the word of God. Well, this king of the north is somebody that's going to pervert the word of God, papacy. It's the papacy. Will pervert the word of God. This, and I mean, that's just simplified stuff. We got a whole study that we did on it to really lay it out and prove the point. But... This is why understanding the sanctuary is so important to everybody. Um, let's see, what is this? Uh, the loaves on the table as a type represent the continual reminder of the everlasting promises of God, the covenant made, and a memorial of God providing bread in the wilderness. The anti-type, of course, is we are lost in a fallen world, a wilderness. And scripture is the bread or the manna that the Lord has provided us to survive, right? This bread being a memorial of the manna given to the people wandering the desert for 40 years. And we are in a desert now, in a wilderness now. And this Bible is our bread that he has provided us. And notice when he gave, they gave the manna in the morning. They got started with it, right? So... What should we be doing probably with our Bibles, with our bread? Probably in the morning. 
because it creates a uh, pathway for your day, uh, an influence of your day to start with it versus end with it, I think. Because I think that's symbolic. They got the manna in the morning. Um, so let's see. All of the furniture items relate to Christ in a dual way, if you will. They are symbolic of Christ himself and what he did um, or was in type and how it pertains to our walk with him in anti-type. So for us, it's scripture. Reading the Bible is anti-type. In type, pertaining to him being the manna from heaven. He came down to be our bread, didn't he? Our bread of life. So, speaking of manna that came down, let's look at how that worked and understand something about us today. Exodus 16.11, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew laid about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay small round thing. That was a small as a hoar frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to another, It is manna, for they wished not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given to eat. Um, the bread the Lord give you to eat is a provision to help you get to people through their... Wait a minute. The bread that the Lord has given to you eat, this is a provision to help get people through their time in the wilderness or desert. We are in that time right now. Um, and as God provided it daily, as it was a necessity, so it is with us. If we are to survive in this wilderness of a sinful world in which we reside, we must feed on this bread, the Bible, daily. It nourishes us. It grows us. It strengthens us. Strengthens, strengthens us. See, I told you I'm having a hard time today. Teaches us, matures us. It protects us from lies. And what did Jesus pray? Give us this day our daily bread, right? We need it. Make no mistake. If we don't have it, we can be deceived. Remember what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. And with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks uh, always for you, uh, to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So Paul is talking to the church here and he's talking about believers. It would be easy to say to those who didn't receive the love of the truth were unbelievers, right? You could say, oh, they, didn't, they don't have a love of the truth. They don't, they don't love Jesus. These are unbelievers. But it doesn't say truth of love, which is what Jesus is, love, in the form of Christ and his sacrifice. It says who don't love the truth. So what is truth? And no, I'm not quoting Pilate with that. Um, but what is truth? John eight thirty one. Then he said 
Uh, and then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples, and you shall know the truth. If you're in the word, you know the truth. So the word is truth, right? The word is truth. So let's double check that. John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them through thy truth. For thy word is truth. So those who do not read the word, because they have not the love of the truth, are the ones who will receive the strong delusion. Let me say that again. Those who do not read the word are the ones that don't have a love of the truth. Because the word is the truth. If you don't love scripture then you don't have a love of the truth. And those are the people that will receive the strong delusions. Strong, here in the Strong's Greek, is 1753, energia. Um, it's a working or action done in a superhuman way. So basically, we can't break free of it without scripture. God will have hardened hearts and put scales on eyes. It's my belief that this delusion is in our churches today. It's here. It's working. If you are listening to this, if you are hearing my voice, then you have some kind of love of the truth because you like Bible study. And we might be few in number. This might not be a very good podcast, whatever. But to people that are listening to this, and myself included, love the truth. I love scripture. I love reading this. I love studying this. This is entertainment for me to get in and do Bible studies. The discovery, the, the thrill and the excitement of discovering you, I, I can't get enough of it. I think it's great. Um, and I get it. Not everybody feels that way. But um, most do not. Uh, let's see here. Notice what both verses used to divide truth included sanctification right? Which, of course, is the name of the game in the holy place. Both of them, sanctify them through thy truth, because thy word is truth. Sanctify them through your word. Isn't that something? Um, so, let me see. I'm, I'm losing my space here. Da, da, da. They point something else out, especially in conjunction with Second Thessalonians 2, that has been said repeatedly here, repeatedly here. Accepting Christ is not the end of it. You must go through sanctification. My um, altar call and saying my Jesus prayer is not the end of it. I have to go through sanctification as well. I must be made holy. Without holiness, no man will see the face of God. These people sitting in pews to your left and right who are not digging into scripture are very likely under the strong delusion as we speak. So, you know, these are our brothers and sisters. We already prayed. Let's do it again. Let's pray again. Let's pray over these people that might be in the strong delusion right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we plead with you today on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ the world over who may be in the delusion, that they may be freed if you will it, that they may hear from us or anyone else 
the truth and importance in their Bible study life. Jesus, you wish none to be lost, and you told the Father that you had lost none uh, he had gave you except the son of perdition, Judas. Jesus, we ask that this be the case now, um, that we can invite them back into the holy place and your spirit can work on their hearts and their minds. In the mighty and holy and merciful name of Jesus, we pray, Father. Amen. Um, Guys, this Bible, it doesn't stutter. It's not possibly cloaked in mysterious verses. It simply takes effort. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Have a hunger for the truth, his word, and you will be rewarded. And you will see that what you have been taught in many cases was flat out wrong. It's it's really that simple. So I'm just going to freestyle for a minute and recap. We're at a 36-minute mark. I'm wondering if it isn't best just to break these in each piece of furniture into its own little episode maybe. And roll on. I'm not sure. Well, we got the got the candlestick next. Actually, I think I can probably get the candlestick in. So I guess we'll just go with it. We got time. So Exodus 25, 31, and 37. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. And thou shalt make seven lamps thereof. And they shall... Light the lamps thereof, and they may give light over against it. So the menorah, or the seven-branch candlestick, was beaten out of a single piece of gold. It had seven branches and seven lamps. So what does the menorah represent? Revelation 2020. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So, why are the candlesticks the church? Matthew 5.14 through 16, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus told us that he is the light of the world, and being in him, the church, the saints, accept this responsibility as well. We are to be a light to the world. We are to go out. We are to be ambassadors of Christ. People are to see the way that we are and the things that we do and the way that we live. And I always tell people, we are not recruiters. So many people get this wrong when it comes to evangelizing. Go out there and just pepper people with with posters and handouts and and stand you know at, at Walmart's door and trying to you know save 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 but remember we are told no one comes to the father unless the father first calls them he tells us to be the light of the world we are to give the message but we are to we're recruiting posters not recruiters People are to see us. This is what this says. Let our light shine before men. They're supposed to see us and be like, why why, why do Christians have a certain amount of joy and 
faith and patience and, and all the things that we have. What's different? What's going on with them? They're supposed to become interested and and and, and the Father draws them that way. You know, so this is what the candlesticks are. Being a light to the world, showing people the love of Christ, um, not only through sharing his word, but through our actions, our personalities, you know, our moving about in this wicked fallen world. People are sp- supposed to take notice that we are different and they want to know why are we different. Uh, and they're supposed to envy that, not envy like we don't want that. Maybe that's that's wrong, but they, they, they want to want our joy and our happiness for themselves. They want to have it because the things of this world are empty and they can go out and buy their fancy things. They think this is good. They think it makes them happy, but deep, they're hollow inside. They're not filled. And they're always going to be searching for something. And some people will recognize that in the Christian, that the thing that they're missing is that joy, that contentment that the Christian has, right? Be a light to the world. Um. So it burned oil, as Leviticus tells us. Uh, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee uh, pure olive oil beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn continually. Aaron shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord continually. Leviticus 24, 1-3. Oil is a common symbol of the Holy Spirit. The wicks for the lamps were trimmed daily by the priest, and the oil was replaced. This goes to the parable Jesus uses regarding wineskins. No one puts new wine in old wineskins because the old wineskins can't handle it. In other words, new moves of the Spirit, new things that, that the Lord wants to bring to you will not happen into your life until you grow in Christ Be, and your sanctification. As you grow, as you mature, you become a new wineskin. That means you are able to handle the new wine that is being brought to you. And it's the same with these wicks. You know, these wicks are burning. Image, us being purified, us being sanctified, us maturing, the bad stuff, the dross that he's trying to smelt out of us is being burnt away. And he snips that burnt part off. And we're continuously growing. So those bad portions, just like the wick and the lamp, the bad portions of us are constantly being snipped off as they burn up. As it burns up in God's sanctifying truth, it's snipped off. And you keep starting over, keep growing, keep moving forward. Um, and we need scripture and prayer daily to mature and purify for the next things to happen, right? So what feeds the lamp? And you might say, well, you just told us it's oil. It's the Holy Spirit, yes. But if we look at Zechariah 4, we get a fuller answer. So let's look at Zechariah 4 too. Through a whole bunch, through a mile, 14. And said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick of all gold with a bowl upon the top of it. And his seven lamps thereon, the seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are on, upon the top thereof. And two oil trees by it, or excuse me, oil trees, two olive trees by it, uh, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? I said, No, Lord. 
Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word. Let me say that again. Then he answered to me, or then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord. Unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, that thou shalt become a plain? And he shall bring forth the, uh, the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet of, uh, in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro the whole earth. Then I answered and said unto him, What are these uh, two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and on the left thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which uh, through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered unto me, saying, Knowest now, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. These two anointed ones, guys, are Revelation 11's two witnesses. They are the Old Testament and the New Testament. They are the Word of God. You can see our uh, Season 1 Zechariah study for more on this. So the candlesticks... It represents the church being the light of the world in Christ's name, operating in the power of the Spirit, fed that Spirit through Scripture. It is that candle, that light of the world is able to burn because it is fueled by the oil, the oil that comes from the table of showbread, from reading God's Word. This is what makes the candlestick, the church, glow is knowing the word of God. How about that? Isn't that interesting? Come on. You know that's good. And so Zechariah answers that. And that answers multiple questions. It teaches us about the table of showbread and the candlesticks. But it also answers what's going on in Revelation with the two witnesses. People say it's Enoch and Moses. Some people say it's no Moses and Elijah, or it's Elijah and Enoch. It's all this, that, 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 that. All this stuff the Bible tells us. The two witnesses, because what does the witness do? It testifies. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And truly I tell you, it, these are they that testify of me. The scriptures testify of me. What does the witness do? It testifies. The two witnesses, the Old and the New Testament, they testify to each other. So whatever you're reading in the New Testament, you can probably find it. Corroborating verse in the Old Testament and vice versa. They prove each other and they all ultimately prove what they're saying about Jesus. Come on. You know that's good. You know that's good stuff. Now, there are a couple other things I'm just throw out there. Um, duh, 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 duh. 
For who hath this despised the day of small things? We've covered this before, but if you didn't see it, it's just a little nugget. The day of small things. So they are rebuilding the temple. But this temple is not the size and the glory and the grandeur of the first one. It's smaller. But people are more worried about that, you know, the image that it projects and represents, you know, its glory than they are about the purpose of it being the house of God. So this despising the day of small things thing is a reference to that, it being a smaller temple. And there's people that at this time were openly complaining about this. They're getting a temple, but they're not happy about what temple they're getting. You know, so that's that's your little day of small things thing. Um, uh, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. This is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. You'll see in Revelation um, that the there are seven spirits before the throne. That is answered in Isaiah what the seven spirits are. But um, they all, it equates to, it shows you seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. But then it says those seven spirits are sent down into the earth and all around. That's Pentecost. So we see that in Revelation. Another, another signal in Revelation that we're talking about the church era and that Revelation is a history of the church from Pentecost till the second advent of Jesus Christ. That's another one. Again, Jesus is standing there as the high priest. So we know that that's after Pentecost, and we have the spirits being sent down into the earth. Well, actually, Jesus goes up there just before the Pentecost happens, uh, the actual Holy Spirit being poured on everybody. But then we actually see the scene in there where the the spirits are released into the world, and that's that's Pentecost. And uh, so I just thought that was interesting to point that out, that that was in Zechariah as well. Zechariah is a very important book and people should look at it. Um, in sanctification and becoming holy, we read the word at the table of showbread. In the seven branch candlesticks, um, we are lighting the world. We are witnessing. We are ministering. We are doing missions work. This builds us in others in type. The menorah represents Christ coming as a light in the darkness. And we are to be a light in this darkness for others. Now notice with me the mechanics, if you will. The lamp is continually burning, but needs refreshed daily. If we, as Christians, are to be effective at ministering and witnessing in this fallen world, we must be refreshed daily as well. With what? The word of God, of course. Remember the manna. Give us our daily bread. The manna came down daily in the morning. The candlesticks being refreshed daily in the morning. It's the same thing. It's being refreshed by what? It's being refreshed by the bread on the table of showbread, the word of God. The candlesticks are what? The church. So the church, us, the believers, it's the same message. It's telling us the same thing. Daily, we need to be refreshed in the word of God every day. Um, so again, this reading your Bible thing is far more important than people want to accept. Scripture goes hand in glove with the candlestick and the altar of incense, all three of them in our sanctification. Um, so, and, and again, when did that manna fall 
for the people in the wilderness. It fell in the morning. God is telling us to refresh ourselves with the word to start the day. It's a shield. It's a barrier. We have to face a sinful world at full strength every day. If not, the world starts to creep in. If you don't, you know, for those of you that like to talk about the um, Ephesians armor, if you don't have the armor on, you're weakened, right? Well, this is that. Reading that scripture every morning before you go out and take on this corrupt, sinful, wicked, decaying world. If you're not starting your way protected, then you start oozing into worldliness. I am horrible at this. I do a lot of Bible, but I don't start, I don't get up in the morning and I need to start doing it. I don't get up with it. I listen to it in the car on the way to work a lot. Um, but not every single day, but most days I listen to my audio Bible. Um, and I get to work and then I start getting into, you know, I'm, I, I am susceptible to letting people in a factory and whatever, you know, start doing crude jokes and things. And then, you know, there are times when I start slipping into joking around with them and I need to be out of that. I need to be better than that. So I need to do as everybody else needs to do is get into that word first thing because it will set the course of my day and it'll set the course of your day. If you get in there and really let it sink in and take it serious, don't just rush through it and read a couple pages and move on. Don't about sit down, take it to heart funnel out the entire world, shield out everything around you and be in that moment, be in that word, be in his presence for that time. And it can help you walk through the rest of your day. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Where am I at here? On a final note, I got written here and I'm afraid I probably already said this. Um, it is the Holy Spirit in seven lamps. How do we make the connection? Revelation 4, 5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, so I do have the Isaiah verse for this. Isaiah eleven two, The seven spirits, it's referred to here in Revelation and in Zechariah, uh, and the spirit of the Lord, one, shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom, two, um, and understanding, three, and the spirit of counsel, four, and might, five, and the spirit of knowledge, six, and the fear of the Lord, seven, of the seven spirits. Uh, as we discussed, the furniture in the outer court all the way to the most holy place forms a cross. The menorah and the table of showbread form the north and south horizontal bar of the cross. This means in Revelation 4, 5, where it says the candlestick is before the throne, it is saying that the table of showbread is the throne in Revelation. The table's in the north. Satan plants his throne there, trying to be like the most high. Now, the mercy seat, I think we can all agree on the Ark of the Covenant is the actual throne. But you have to understand what the earthly throne is, is the word of God, is what's being, I think, said here. Because sanctification, being made holy, is something that's happening to us on earth. The mercy seat throne is what's happening in heaven. So... I'm going ahead. I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb and assume because he is saying it's before the throne. Um, this is a literary. This is a symbolic device. 
that he's using. When he says that before the throne thing, he's wanting us to see the Satan's throne part, not God's throne part. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, set before the throne. I think the sides of the north and the throne part, he's wanting us to see that that's where Satan wants to set up his stuff at. God's throne is on that mercy seat. That makes sense. I hope that makes sense. It's not, when I say that the table of showbread is the actual throne, it's not what I'm saying. It's for prophetic purposes that it's being said that that is the throne. The mercy seat would be God's throne. So on a final, final note for this is what I wrote in here. And we're almost done with this just in time. Um, the wicks were actually made from old priest's garments, tapestries, and other worn out textiles from the temple. So the, um, only anointed items could be used as the wicks, which were trimmed daily. As followers of Christ with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are anointed and can therefore be trimmed in the sanctification part. You, you catch that? We have to be anointed before we can be part of the sanctification part, just like the wicks. Before we can be in there, before we can be made holy, we have to be anointed. We have to accept Christ, be baptized, gain the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to become anointed. Then we're like these wicks where we can start getting trimmed off as we grow. The burnt part's getting trimmed off. Um, for every little extra tidbit we throw at you in this study, there are probably 50 or more that we're not bringing up. Some I just haven't noticed, and some I'll leave for you to find. Um, this would be a year-long study if we tried to break through everything that's going on here, right? Um, and I couldn't find it all. I can find a lot of it, but I couldn't find all of it. No way. Um, uh, and if I thought I did, I'd be wrong. And there's no way. It, this is so impressive, so massive. There's no computers, no nothing that could do this. This could only be divine writing of God himself, you know, that, that's it. Um, it's just, it's it's staggering how much is in here for as much as I can pull out. And now my notes, you know, for this episode, I didn't even, I didn't even bring up all the stuff I have discovered. I mean, that alone would, we'd be in here for two weeks and it's just a drop in the bucket to what's really there. But I can tell you this, I'm excited about learning some more um, if any of you have discover something that I missed, I'd love to hear it. Um, but that's what that's what I love about this. I know I don't have the entire thing. I don't have every little piece of symbolism that relates to Christ in here. And that's why I'll keep coming back to my Bible and keep looking and keep studying because I want to find more. I want to know truth, though. I want to be protected. I want to know truth. I don't want somebody telling me what something means. I want to find it for myself. And so I'm going to keep studying. But um, we, excuse me, we got through two articles of furniture in the holy place. That leaves us with the altar of incense. So we got through the table of showbread, God's word. Some uh, It's called the table of the presence. Um, and then we got through the menorah, the seven branch candlestick, um, the light of the world, the churches, our ministry and our evangelism. Two critical parts of our sanctification, our growth, and our nourishment. The last thing we'll get to, uh, well, the next thing we'll get to is the altar of incense, which is our prayers and supplications, being a sweet aroma to God. And then we will get to the Ark of the Covenant, 
our glorification in the most holy place. At that time, then we will turn and understand what cleansing the sanctuary means. Thank you guys. Running out of time. Love y'all. Praying for you. Thanks for listening. I hope this uh, was understandable. Sorry for my far less than smooth delivery on everything, but that is it. We will see you in episode four.